This isn't a Piper Cub. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. From 1942 to 1944, Texas was home to one of the most remarkable programs in the history of the Second World War. Hundreds of young women from all walks of life were trained in airfields in Houston and in West Texas to become the first women ever to fly military aircraft in American history. This week we look at the remarkable story of the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, the Wasps of Texas. But first, what is your favorite Western swing song? Well, my favorite Western swing song is really the only one that comes to mind, um, is If You've Got the Money, Honey, I've Got the Time, uh, originally by Lefty Frizzell. Although the version that I know best is the one that uh, Willie Nelson did years ago. Uh, it's a good song. like it a lot. Good song. We'll go honky-tonkin'. Have ourselves a time. You know, I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, San Antonio Rose by Bob Wills. But uh, I'm pretty sure that Willie Nelson's done a version of it, too. <laughs> well, I'm going to pick a Bob Wills song also. It's one of his very earliest songs called Take Me Back to Tulsa. And uh, it's just a great uh, fiddle-based song that um, it was. It's, it just sounds like it's pretty pretty low, lo-fi recording, so it just sounds like you'd hear it on the radio in 1933 or something. Um, but honorable mention goes to Pass the Biscuits Pappy by Pappy O'Daniel and his hillbillies. Nice. Ah-ha. Ah, we should probably mention we're recording this on 420, <laughs> so make sure you leave out milk and cookies for Willie Nelson. <laughs> In December 1942, a new class of pilot trainees arrived at a dusty Army Air Force training airfield in the tiny West Texas town of Sweetwater. This wasn't a particularly remarkable occurrence in Texas, or really anywhere in the United States. America was at war, and the nation had mobilized to wage that war in a way not seen in its entire history. Millions of young men were being trained at that very minute all over the country. So this group of young pilots stepping onto a Texas airfield shouldn't have raised too many eyebrows. But the eyebrows were raised in every way because all the pilots were young women, and they were the first of nearly 1,800 young women who would pass through Sweetwater's Avenger Field, all bound for service as Women's Air Force Service Pilots, America's First Women Military Aviators. The origins of the WASPs, as the Women's Air Force Service Pilots were called, stretches back to the very early days of World War II, when it was just still a purely European affair. On September 2, 1939, the day after the war began, famed female aviator Jacqueline Cochran, a friend and colleague of Amelia Earhart, wrote a letter to First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Her letter laid out the convincing argument that women pilots could handle almost any non-combat flying job, freeing up male pilots for combat duty on the front lines. The First Lady was intrigued, and several years later, when America was in the war, she wrote in her national newspaper column, My Day, We're in a war, and we need to fight it with all of our ability and every weapon possible. Women pilots, in this particular case, are a weapon waiting to be used. Cochran spent the next two years advocating for a separate women's air corps with a woman commander in charge, and while she did generate interest in the concept, little heed was paid to her ideas by the military itself. Besides, America wasn't at war, so there was no need to worry, right? 
1940, Cochrane herself went to England to volunteer to fly with the Air Transport Auxiliary, a civilian service that flew aircraft in non-combat roles and, as Cochrane had urged in the U.S., used women's pilots. At around the same time, another woman pilot, Nancy Harkness Love, who herself had been the youngest woman in the U.S. to earn a private pilot's license, wrote a letter to the commander of the U.S. Army Air Force Air Transport Command, General Robert Olds. She was pushing for qualified women pilots to serve in the Army Air Force in some way. There were dozens, maybe even hundreds of women across the country who, inspired by Amelia Earhart, Jackie Cochran, Bessie Smith, and others, were learning to fly. It would be a waste not to utilize their skills and their desire to serve their country. Again, while there was a continued discussion about the idea, most Air Force officers were in agreement that women just could not fly complicated military aircraft. By 1942, though, those thoughts began to change. We often forget that those first months for America in the war were pretty disastrous. After the surprise of Pearl Harbor, American forces reeled from defeat after defeat in the Pacific against the Japanese onslaught. This was matched by horrendous losses against the German U-boats in the Atlantic. Further, America had to transform itself to get into the war, retooling the economy towards the war effort and shifting the bulk of the male war force out of jobs and into uniform. Women stepped into those jobs in unprecedented numbers in American history, doing their part for their country. With the losses in the early days of the war, there was a major need for every possible able-bodied American male to be available to fight on the front lines, and this included pilots. Suddenly, the idea that Cochran and Love had each proposed wasn't such a bad one. America needed pilots flying strikes from carriers, shooting down... America needed pilots flying strikes from carriers, shooting down zeros, braving the flak over Germany, and dropping depth charges on U-boats, not flying aircraft from factories to the airfields, or hauling supplies and passengers from point A to point B. It was the same argument that was made by the Women's Army Corps founder, Oveta Culp Hobby. Let the women serve their country behind the lines so that men can serve on them. In mid-1942, General Hap Arnold, commander of the Army Air Force, agreed to both Love's proposal for a civilian ferrying service, the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, and to Cochrane's Women's Flying Training Detachment. For nearly a year, the two programs operated independently of each other until Cochrane was able to use her connections to get the programs merged into the Women's Air Force Service Pilots. The WASPs. Initially, Love's WAFS was made up of experienced women pilots who had over 500 hours of flight time. They operated out of Delaware and exclusively ferried aircraft from factories to military air bases. Cochrane's plans for the WTFD was much more ambitious. She wanted women pilots not just to ferry aircraft, but to be involved in transport, training, and other non-combat operations. She also intended her girls to receive strict military training, as she saw her pilots as a military unit just as much as their male equivalents. They were required to complete the same primary, basic, and advanced training courses as male Army Corps pilots, and many of them went on to specialized flight training. Cochran's first group of trainees began training in Houston at Municipal Airport and later at Howard Hughes' airfield, which today is Hobby Airport. They didn't have uniforms and had to find their own lodging. The first group also had minimal medical care, no life insurance, crash truck, or fire truck, and the ambulance was loaned from the Ellington Army Airfield, along with inefficient... They also had to deal with insufficient administrative staff and a hodgepodge of aircraft, which was 23 different types, for training. 
The first class also had to contend with foggy and wet Houston weather, which delayed their flight time. And they actually didn't end up graduating until April 1943. By this time, though, Cochran had had enough of Houston and moved the second and all subsequent classes out west to the drier climate of Sweetwater and its Avenger Field. From December 1942 until December 1944, 18 classes of women pilots passed through Avenger Field in monthly intervals. Of the 25,000 women who applied for flight training, 1,830 were accepted, and of those, 1,074 received their wings. Training for women pilots paralleled but did not duplicate that given to the men. Because most of the women were expected to go into ferrying or just moving aircraft around, emphasis was placed on cross-country flying. Gunnery and formation flight training were omitted. Life was hard for the young women, but they made the best of their time. There were no uniforms or flight suits for the trainees, so they were issued surplus mechanics jumpsuits instead. The girls called these zoot suits as they were made for much larger men and had to be cinched up with belts and ropes. Being West Texas, naturally, it was hot in the summer. The WASP trainees said that it was often cooler to put their beds outside the barracks when they slept at night rather than try to sleep indoors. The barracks themselves were six to a room and only one bathroom for every 12 girls. They worked 12 hours a day at the airfield, doing exercises, taking classes, and flying in the afternoon. There was very little downtime in the program, and the girls mostly stayed on base. Still, nearly every woman who passed through Avenger Field would later say that their time there was their most cherished of their life. For the WASPs who graduated, they were assigned to air bases across the country to ferry planes from points of embarkation. They towed targets, served as flight instructors, flew supplies and transports, dropped paratroopers in training, flew radio-controlled planes, and were even test pilots. In the end, they flew over 60 million miles in every military aircraft that was part of the Army Air Corps arsenal, including the mighty B-29, as well as the first American jet aircraft. In the course of the program, 38 of these brave women were killed in accidents in the service of their country. They did so with no rank, no insurance, and were only paid 65% of what male pilots earned. Throughout the program, Cochran and Love lobbied to have the WASP militarized as a complement to the Women's Army Corps so that the pilots would have rank and benefits as well as recognition for their accomplishments. They were supported by General Arnold, who was keenly aware and appreciative of the value of the program. However, congressional approval was required to militarize the WASPs. On June 21, 1944, the House bill to give the WASP military status was narrowly defeated. Civilian male pilots had lobbied against the bill, apparently reacting to the closure of some civilian flight training schools and the termination of two male pilot training commissioning programs. The House Committee on the Civil Service reported on June 5, 1944, that it considered the WASP program unnecessary, unjustifiably expensive, and recommended that the recruiting and training of inexperienced women pilots be halted. As a result, Arnold ordered that the WASP program be disbanded by December 20, 1944. On December 7, 1944, the third anniversary of Pearl Harbor, Arnold spoke at Avenger Field saying, quote, The WASP has completed its mission. Their job has been successful, but as is usual in war, the cost has been heavy. Thirty-eight WASPs have died while helping their country move toward the moment of final victory. The Air Forces will long remember their service and their final sacrifice. It was a bitter pill to swallow for these young women who'd left their homes to serve their country and pursue their love of flying. 
All the women were discharged, but because they'd not been officially part of the military, they did not qualify for any military benefits. To make matters worse, all records of the WASP program were classified and sealed for 35 years. The WASPs returned to their lives, though many of them kept flying as civilians or were otherwise involved in the aviation industry, but they quietly faded into history. They were little remembered except by a few who might have seen a newsreel or read an article about them in Life magazine. However, all that would change in the mid-1970s when the Air Force announced that it would, for the first time in history, permit women pilots to fly military aircraft. This announcement reverberated with the surviving WASP veterans and caused them to mobilize and finally get the recognition that they deserved. In 1977, with the support of prominent veterans of World War II, including Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, who'd served with WASP during the war, Congress finally passed legislation that recognized that the women who served as WASPs were indeed veterans. The GI Bill Improvement Act of 1977, signed by President Jimmy Carter, granted the WASP Corps full military status, granting them full military benefits and rank. Further, all records of the WASP service were declassified, and the Air Force recognized them as America's first women pilots to fly military aircraft. In the years since, there have been books written and documentaries made about the women of Avenger Field, and more honors have been given to the survivors. In 1984, all WASP members were granted World War II victory medals, and in 2009, President Barack Obama in Congress awarded the WASP Corps the Congressional Gold Medal for their service. Today, their oral histories have been recorded for all time, preserved at the National WASP World War II Museum in Sweetwater, and every year, many of the surviving WASPs gather there to reconnect and remember their days at Avenger Field. So I love this story uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I'm, I was actually born in Sweetwater, um, and I had... Uh, you don't even know what hospital you were born in. I was just a baby, but over the years... I, I don't know what a hospital I was born in, but I do know where Avenger Field is because there's a sign uh, when we drive through Sweetwater to see my grandmother. Uh, there is a sign that said Avenger Field in that in the World War II Wasp Museum, um, and I I uh, looked up and found information about them. But uh, also recently on KERA, the local PBS station, there was a documentary, a show called Nowhere But Texas, and this was one of the stories covered was talking to. Uh, the ladies who still volunteer at the museum and still speak about their time as members of the WAS, Women's Army Service Pilot, uh, Women's sorry, Women's Air Force Service Pilot Group. Um, it's a great story, and uh, it is remarkable the the sacrifices that people made, uh, the greatest generation made during the war, but that these women made uh, for little recognition, uh, no recognition at the yeah, time. Yeah, I. I think um, that's probably the most striking thing for me is there's so many other areas that we knew about, you know, that women helped out with um, during the war that they did. But the fact that this was so unknown that when the Army made an announcement in the 70s that, oh, we're going to let women fly military aircraft for the first time, it was like, wait a minute, no, we we did this during World War II. This isn't new. Yeah, yeah. we <laughs> yeah, did that. It, it's we like, did it. Yeah, I mean, that, that blows my mind that that was... I mean, why would that be classified? I, I, I don't understand that. Yeah. So the, the, there's some funny stories. There's some really good stories that these women have told in their oral, oral histories. One of them was there's a, there's a bomber during World War II called the B-26 Marauder, and it was 
was called the flying prostitute because it had it was pretty and fast and had no visible means of support. It had really short <laughs> wings, um, and it had a reputation as a widow maker. And at one point, the combat pilots refused to fly it. And Hap Arnold was such a supporter of the Wasp that he put these Wasp pilots in this plane for a demonstration, uh, put them in this plane and said, go fly it and show them that you can fly it on one engine, that you can land it, that you can you can do everything you want with it and it's perfectly safe. And they did, and they flew it. And and it, the, the lady talking about it said, you know, the men wouldn't fly this airplane, but we showed them that, you know, we could fly it. It was There was nothing wrong with the airplane. Well, it's interesting too. It's like, uh, you know, yet another pioneering thing that happens in Texas and a pioneering, you know, military aviation thing that happens in Texas. So just go to show folks, everything great happens in Texas. <laughs> um, well, really like what, you know, uh, it seems, I'm sure there's maybe some young listeners out there or, or people we talk, younger folks that we talk to and she'd be like, this, this must feel a million miles away to be like, oh, there's no way a woman could fly an airplane. A military airplane. It's too complicated. I mean, it's too complicated, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, I mean, isn't, every, this yeah. isn't a Piper Cub. Yeah, I mean, there was there was, uh, there was was a couple of hundred of them who were actually qualified to fly the fighter planes. You know, that they they flew the fighter planes. There were men that would, couldn't qualify to fly the P-51 Mustang, uh, but there was couple of hundred of these women were qualified to fly the p-51 mustang they flew you know the 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 first american military jet aircraft and so i mean they they did everything that they that that the men could do the only thing they didn't do was drop bombs and and shoot bullets yeah and the only other thing they didn't do was get the credit or benefits that they should have Uh, that that that's even worse to me it's like okay don't recognize them don't make a big deal out of it but you know support them after the fact that's that bothers me yeah and so the interesting thing about this story is that the wasps are in the news today i don't know if you guys have seen it but uh there is a recent story that came out in the spring that the department of defense and the overseers of arlington national cemetery had denied uh one of the women in the wasp to be to have her ashes put even in arlington national cemetery that there that these these women that were in the wasp uh, group are being passed over for consideration to be buried in, or interned otherwise in Arlington National Cemetery in favor of people in actual in the quote unquote actual services and uh, this actually went went to Congress there was testimony it was very emotional uh, the House of Representatives voted unanimously to pass a bill uh, to entitle these women to be buried in Arlington National Cemetery it needs to go uh, to the Senate to be passed, and uh, the president has indicated that he would sign this bill if it comes before him. So you can you can actually help support the WASP by writing your senator um, and telling them, please vote for this bill, please push for this bill to be passed to go to the president so that we, these women can be honored just like any other World War II veteran would be. Oh, that's incredible. Well, they deserve it. They, they earned it. Um, Very much so. A, it was a dangerous job. And uh, and a special time for America. But, uh, well, that's a cool story. Yep. So if you're ever driving down I-20 towards El Paso and you still have six more hours to drive to El Paso, just stop in Sweetwater (laughs) uh, and uh, go to to the 
the World War II National Wasp World War II Museum in Sweetwater. Well, may, maybe Museum. even better if you're flying across West Texas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stop in for a cheeseburger and then go see the museum. So we are going to be placing on our website uh, several YouTube videos with some documentaries about the women, uh, as well as some of their own oral history of uh, being in the WASP group and uh, their experiences during the war. Very cool. Uh, And if you know a WASP or you have some connection to the WASPs, drop us a line. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to Brainstable and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love the show. Maybe you're just plain crazy. So tell your friends about us and make them listen make them leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.